Young adults, how we doing? Awesome. Awesome. So good to be with you guys. Hey, welcome to our relationship series. I hope that you wear um, a little bit more cologne or a little bit less cologne, depending on how you normally do it for tonight. Um, we are in a relationship series called Pillow Talk. It's all about sex. It's about dating. It's about singleness and marriage and everything in between. And um, what I thought tonight we would talk about is this idea that when we are uh, single and the vast majority of you in here are single, the goal of your life or the goal, the ambition that you have right now is really to to get somebody to turn their head, right? That's your goal. You want somebody to take a second look. You want somebody to like take a second glance. You want somebody to like, you know, t tap on Instagram. And then you're like, oh, praise the Lord. It's him. It was him. He did it. <laughs> Said he liked it, right? That's the whole goal. And so I found this picture this week and a whole set of memes this week that kind of went viral um, of someone turning their head. And go ahead and show that. It is... <laughs> 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 it is called the distracted boyfriend. That's the name of this photo. <laughs> distracted is an understatement. <laughs> um, but there's a whole bunch of memes that go along with this thing, okay? So there's, um, there's go ahead and put the first one up. So this is me at 2 a.m. Yeah, that's about right. Those boots though, right? Go ahead and show the next one. Yes, this is so perfect. If you don't know this song, okay. If you don't know this song, you need to go to Spotify now, okay? I know that you're younger millennials, but come on. Okay, so this means you like people more, or you like dogs more than you like people. Bless God. Okay, so, so but this image is of someone turning their heads, and if we're honest, that's what, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. That's why, that's why girls, like, when it comes to this stage of life, like, you watch makeup tutorials and you're like, all right, I got this. I, I can do it. I, this fake lashes, if we're really going for it, it's fake lashes, right? Or you, like, like you know, you, you, you show up at his, you stalk him on Facebook and you show up at his place of work and you have a new outfit on and you're like, oh, hello. <laughs> I didn't know you worked here. <laughs> And he's like, dude, what are you doing at Kinko's? And you're like, well, um, it's 2017, but I need to make copies of paper. <laughs> no? Okay. Right? Like, or like, fellas, like, I know you, right? Like, you walk into places and, oh, my gosh, I love it, fellas. Like, and you're just like, you know, you do like, you have like a, I don't know. And I don't get it. And I don't get it. I'm not a dude. And, right? And, and. And you, and you like, you know, you, oh my gosh, there are so many things that you gentlemen do. Right now, though, I, I was reading this week that there is, uh, there is a, we know that women love beauty products and they're all about beauty products, but right now, men's beauty products is a $40 billion industry. So don't act like you don't wear makeup or whatever, because we know now, right? We know now, fellas, what the game is. And um, if you're trying to do something like that, oh, here's the other one that fellas do. <laughs> this is my favorite. Um, when you Instagram story about yourself working out, <clears throat> it's my fave, right? And then you put like an ill-fitted Bible verse over it, like his, his mercies are new every day. Like, and, and I'm like, I'll understand. I want to understand. I'll understand. Um, 
So you either do that, right, to turn a girl's head, you either do that, right, or to turn a fella's head, or you do it via the social, right? You do it via social media. And girls, I'm an older millennial, but some of you younger millennials, like, I, I missed that boat where you figured out how to take a banging picture. Like, I didn't, I, right? And so girls are like, if I take a picture with a younger millennial, I'm like, her. And she's like, hip, here, chin down. And I'm like, I look like a hobbit next to you. Like, what happened, right? And, and dudes, like, you're like, <laughs> you, do, you do it too, I watch, right? But it, yours is like this. Yours is like chest up, like chin down, or chin, no, chin up, chin up, chin up, and then you clench your jaw. <laughs> I know. I know you. And the whole goal, the whole goal on Bumble, on Tinder, on the social, whatever, is to get somebody to turn their heads. And that's what we're looking for. But listen, we, we can't wait for this moment, but we have no idea what comes after the adrenaline rush and the butterflies of when someone turns their head. And when it comes to marriage right now, marriage for us in this generation, we don't have a picture of marriage that turns our head. We don't have a picture of marriage that makes us take a second look. This generation, this room, people watching online, you grew up in a home. 50% or more of you grew up in a home that was broken. Right now there is 15% of people in the world and, um, that, that are married, and it is not their second marriage or third marriage. It is their fourth marriage. One million children every year are victims of the pandemic of divorce. And so if I were to ask any one of you, show me a picture of a marriage. Give me a picture of a marriage that turns your head, that is full of love and full of power and ambition and loyalty. You would say, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't have a picture of that. And so we know how to turn people's heads when it comes to the way we look, but we don't know how to find a marriage that turns our heads. Time Magazine is stated as saying this, there's a reason that fairy tales always end in marriage. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through the comic misunderstandings and overcoming family disapproval to get to the altar, those are stories worth telling. Plotting, though, year after year with the same old soul, Yonsville. And this is how our generation, I think, by and large, views marriage. We know what we want when it comes to a head turn, but we have no image of marriage that would turn our heads, which leads a whole bunch of us in the room. If you were being honest, and I've heard you talk this way, you say things like this, I don't know if marriage is something I actually want. I'm not sure if this is actually what I'm looking for. It seems too painful. There's too much dysfunction. It seems too hard. And yet, according to the Bible, God says, this is something so beautiful and dynamic and powerful that I created for you. In Ephesians 5, God says this about our marriages. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. flesh. Wow. This mystery is profound. It is a profound mystery, he says, and I am saying this as I refer to Christ and the church. He says that our marriages are so dynamic and so powerful that they actually look like Jesus 
and his church. It is a profound mystery, and it is beautiful. And so our whole goal tonight, our whole goal is to talk to you about a marriage, talk to you about a life that turns heads, that God wants to paint a new picture for you and for me when it comes to marriage, that a marriage that would turn the world's head, a marriage that would set a new statistic, that it would no longer be a 50% statistic, that it would be dramatically less than that in our generation, in the entire world, would turn their head and say, my goodness, wow, look at that. And so I titled tonight, A Marriage That Turns Their Heads. A Marriage That Turns Their Heads. And so if you would bow your heads with me and pray and ask God to be here. Jesus, we thank you. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you, Jesus, for your presence. I thank you for your face. I set myself aside tonight. I give you permission to move in this place, to convict in this place, but most of all, to speak life over the death that this world has brought us in your institution of marriage, God. I pray that we would have a new picture of what it means. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so a few years ago, um, a few years ago, the church was a little bit younger. It was about 200 people. And when Red Rocks Church started, it was mostly young adults. It was all young adults. And so um, there's about 200 people in the room. And my husband now was a dude I had my eye on or I was thinking about. And he was a hot commodity, you know, at a church. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? Like hot commodity. Like, like he's attractive. He loves God. And he has a J-O-B. Like hot. <laughs> And that's all we're looking for, fellas. Like, just don't look like the ugly, handsome brother. Like, love God, have a job. Like, that's it, right? And so he was a hot commodity. But, but behold, I took him as my own, praise God. And, and we, we started dating. And uh, as we started dating, though, the, the admirers of John didn't seem to go away, right? Like, he still had these girls that were interested in him. Now, for fellas in the room, you don't know this, but girls in the room, we know this. Girl code, you don't creep on some other do- girl's boyfriend, right? Girl code, okay? So I've, I'm dating John. We date for three months. I go overseas, and I live in uh, Africa for a little bit in Mozambique with YWAM. And so while I'm there, I get this email from my girlfriend, Amber, and she says, oh, Jess, Jess, you, I mean, like, how are you? And how's, like, living in the bush? And do you love life? And, and she, says, she says, hey, I don't want to, like, but something you could be praying about, and I'm going to, girl, I got your back, but um, Leah's kind of creeping on John lately. And I was like, and, like, the Conor McGregor in me, like, <laughs> came out. And I was like, when I get home, right? And I get home. And sure enough, I show up at church with John, and Leah is there, and she's like, oh, hey, Joss. And she's, like, dressed like she's going to go on a date. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you got a date after this. But I come to find out, as I'm sitting in church, I hear this story from another friend. And a few nights prior to my arrival, she had asked for John to give her a ride home from a Rockies game. And I was like, oh, hold up. Girl code, Right? And so I'm like, church gets over, and I'm like, oh, hey, Leah, did you love church? I know I love church, too. So great, right? Hey, can I walk you to your car? So awesome. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Right? And so I'm like, and I'm like, let's go, girl. Yeah, super. And I'm like, oh, giggling with her. Yeah, it's so awesome. And as soon as we get out of earshot of everybody else, I'm like, look. <laughs> that is my man. That is my dude. 
And I don't want you to look at him. I don't want you to talk to him. I don't want you to ask him for rides. And I sure do not want you dressing like that in front of him. I said this. I said, if you are trying to turn his head, I will smash your head. And you're like, oh, this is a pastor. And after church, she threatened somebody's life. And I, I know, so messed up. So messed up. It's a true story. She started crying. And I was like, doesn't matter. You're skinny. I could take you. Like, let's go. Let's go right now. <laughs> so, girl code. She was trying to turn ahead. And there is, listen to me, I think it's a natural thing to want to turn ahead. I do. But there's a wrong way to turn ahead. And God says, God says in his word, there is a right way. There is a godly way. Make no mistake that God has a way for you and I to live in our singleness, in our dating, and in our marriage that turns people's heads. If we were to live the way that scripture says, it would naturally come that people would turn and look at you and say, what do you have that I don't have? What do you have that I want? And what my job is tonight is to convince you to live a life of your singleness, of your dating, and in your marriage that would make the entire world stop and take a moment and say, wow, wow. And we can start right now, but it can't look like culture. It's supernatural, and it looks completely different than anything we've probably seen yet. And we'll start with your singleness that in your singleness, there is a way, there is a way for you to turn heads, but it's in Christ and it's countercultural and it starts this way. It starts by embracing the single, embracing the gift of being single. God wants to start now and he wants to turn heads in your life right now. And it's biblical. We read about Ruth and Boaz and the very first time that Boaz, Boaz, oh boo, <laughs> Abu, the very first time that Boaz sees Ruth, he turns and he looks at her and he says, whoa, who is that? And she turns his head. The very first time uh, with Rebecca and Isaac, that Rebecca sees Isaac, she sees him in a field and she says, who is that man? And he turns her head. The very, uh, in, in Song of Songs, when Solomon's writing about his fiance, and the very first time that he sees her on their wedding night, she turns his head and it's beautiful and it's majestic and so if we are going to be a people that turn people's heads, we need to begin in our singleness and we begin by embracing the gift of being single. It says this in 1 Corinthians, I wish all men were as I am, this is Paul writing, that each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the other, other, another has that. Now to the unmarried widows I say this, it is good for them to remain as I am, unmarried. Do you know what he says about singleness? Don't worry about like the fact, if you want to get married and that's a desire of your heart, you are going to get married. Some of you are like, oh no, am I called to be single and celibate forever? Probably not. Like, but don't miss what he's saying here when he says singleness, this is what he calls it. He says singleness is a gift. It's a gift. This is Paul, one of the forefathers of our faith, and he's writing and he says singleness is a present to be unpackaged. It is a gift. Do you know how we treat singleness? We treat singleness like it's a curse, like it is something to be avoided, like you just walked into singleness like you walked into a spider web, like, oh, <laughs> yuck. <laughs> 
you know, roast, get off me. And he says this, it's a gift. It is not something that you should take lightly. It is not something that you need to be delivered from. And it is not something that you should be distracted within. It is a gift to your life. A few uh, years ago, we had Brooklyn's very first Christmas. Well, it was her second Christmas, but her very first Christmas where she understood what was happening. And Santa Claus and the whole deal, and Santa Claus came, right? And John and I had gotten her a gift that was so awesome. She was a singer, and so it was this musical um, piece that, like, danced with her, and it sang, and I was so excited for it. And she comes down Christmas morning, and I'm like, baby, I'm so excited. And, you know, I show her the tree, and she's like, awesome. And she understood Santa, and she's like, Santa, Santa. And I'm like, yes, babe, right? And we walk over, and she sees, like, the plate of cookies, because Santa, Santa ate some cookies. And, and, she, and she gets super distracted and this is a true story she spent most of Christmas morning being like this plate of, of cookies is amazing <laughs> and the entire time I was like oh but this gift and if we were being honest about our single years we are so distracted with trying to find somebody anybody that we miss the gift of the moment we spend all of our time going to as many co-ed events as possible. You don't like bowling and you're a girl, but you know dudes are going, like, you're going bowling. Because, amen, I will be there. Co-ed, let's go. Dudes in here, you don't like musicals, you will go to La La Land because there is a pack of friends and it's got females in it. I'm going to go. You will talk to your friends about, your, about you know, wanting to date. You will journal about wanting a date. You will get a mentor, and you will talk to them not about having self-control, not about how to manage your finances so that you can be a generous steward of God's finances to the world, not about fruits of the Spirit or about what it means to be in Christ. You will talk to your mentor endlessly about, Is they, are they the one? Is this the one? And you will be distracted in your singleness. And Jesus is looking at us and he's like, it is a gift. It is a gift to be unpackaged and to be enjoyed. Do you understand that if you do marriage right, there will be only one time of this season for you. One time where you are single and you get to, you get to have an, a vast amount of space to do the things that you want and to pursue the ambitions in your heart and to see what God has for you. One time where you are single, and, and listen, you don't have to be so worried about who you're going to end up with. Maybe if you would worry less, you would travel more. Maybe if you wouldn't be so consumed with who you're going to date, you would find some actual friends that are going to sow into you. And he's like, invest, unwrap this gift. And I promise you, if you unwrap this gift of this season, I will make the most of it for you. It's a present if you would be willing to open it. And I think for every single person in here, if you would be willing to unwrap the gift of singleness, that it would make you into the human being that would turn the head of the person that you want. Embrace the gift of singleness. The second thing that I don't think is popular right now in the world that is countercultural to the world, yet makes us completely eye-catching, is this, is that we would run in our race and that we would not chase after boys and after girls that we would run in our race and that we would not chase after boys and after girls 
The Bible says this in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and every hindrance that so easily entangled us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out that has been prepared for us. There is a race that has been prepared for you by God just for you. And during your 20s, hear me on this, during your 20s, during your single years, this will be the time when God is laying out for you your call, your race, who you are serving, and where you are going. He is going to begin unveiling this to you during your single years. And he says, race right now. Race right now. Don't get distracted. Don't chase. Race right now. This is what I have for you. People that we respect all throughout the Bible, they found their race not when they were married. They found it when they were single. Ruth, Ruth is out in the field and she is working what God gave her. She is learning to love with ferocity towards her mother-in-law. And this is long before she meets her man. It's when she's single. Boaz, Boaz is a man of such integrity, of such character. He developed all of that when he was single. He has employees. He has a business. He did all of that when he was single. He began his race when he was single. Rebecca, she is so full of gladness and the joy of the Lord. She, is, she has um, learned who she is before God, and she did that when she was single. David, David, oh my goodness. David, he was tending sheep so that later he could learn to um, lead a slew of people, learn to lead a nation, and he did that when he was single. He was slaying bears and slaying lions so that later he could slay a giant. Guess what? He did that when he was single. And God is looking at this generation and he's like, would you be willing to just begin running your race? Run your race. And it is so attractive. It is not, is it not, when someone is running their race? Guys in here, girls love athletes. We do. And not always in the physical sense. Men who are running their race is so attractive. You know what's not attractive is when someone has a call, has a race that has clearly been laid out for them, and they spend all of their days either moping about how they don't have a person in their life or playing video games. Sorry. God wants you to run your race. He doesn't want you to chase. God wants you to run your race. He doesn't want you to chase. Chasing is what we did when we were kids. Did you guys ever play in kindergarten? Did you ever run after boys or run after girls? I did. I was like, I'm April O'Neil, and you guys are the Ninja Turtles, and now you have to come rescue me. Like, this is what I did, these poor dudes, every day. We do that when you're kids. When you're, a, when you're an adult, you race. And God makes very clear that this is what we are supposed to be doing. And in Galatians, it says this so interestingly about our race. He says, you were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who? Not what? Not obstacle, not problem. Who? Who stopped you? Buried in the uh, book of Judges is the story of this man named Samson. And he was an integral piece in God's plan and in God's kingdom. He was the instrument that God used to deliver his people over and over and over again through war. He was a warrior. The Bible says that at one point he took the skull, um, he took the skull of a donkey, amen, <laughs> and he killed a thousand men. He was Thor before there was Thor. 
before Chris Helmsworth. And the Bible says that at one point he's running his race and he gets distracted and he sees a girl and he begins to chase a female instead of run his race. And fellas, if you are in here and you are wondering tonight, listen, there is a big difference between you pursuing a wife and you chasing after a girl. And if you don't know the difference, keep running your race. Keep running your race. I cannot tell you the amount of times where I've seen friends, people I love, people in this church sell out their call and start to chase a boy or chase a girl. When I met John, um, I think he was like 23 years old, right? I was so driven, and I was probably like overly anxious to see what God wanted to do in my life, and I was just running my race. I was starting to realize what God wanted me to do, and um, I was working, well, I was, uh, sorry, attending here at Red Rocks, and John showed up. We were both on worship team. And he was in the same boat. Like, he was just running his race. He was realizing that he wanted to be a strong father, a strong husband, before he was a husband. And he was realizing his um, desire to own a business. And he was running his race. And when we met each other, we were both like this, right? Like, just like, sup. <laughs> sup. <laughs> and to be honest, like, there wasn't chemistry right at first. He, you know, I thought he was quiet. He thought I was arrogant. We were both right, you know? <laughs> and the weeks went on and the months went on and listen to me I did not need a man to complete me I did not need a man he did not need a woman to feel decent about his life he had a race and there was one day and it was the same for both of us I swear to you as sure as I stand here it was one Sunday we both looked at each other and we noticed each other's race and we said wow wow you can either spend this time chasing after your who, but listen to me, I do not want you to miss your why. If I may be so bold, if you miss your why, I have not done my job. I could care less about you finding your who, and God cares so much more about you finding your why are you here. It's your race. And so we race, we do not chase in our single years. And if you do this right, you will turn the right person's head. We foster an undivided heart is the last thing about our single use. We foster an undivided heart. Foster an undivided heart. In Genesis 24, uh, the story of Rebecca and Isaac meeting for the first time, it is a beautiful story. Go and read Ruth. Go and read the book of Ruth. Go and read Genesis 24. And the story goes like this. Abraham finally wants a wife for his son, and so he sends a servant to go to a foreign land to find a woman. I don't know. He's like, I like foreign ladies. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> So he sends her, or he sends his servant away, and his servant is so, um, he's so godly, just like Abraham, and he begins praying, and he says, God, answer my prayer, and may the woman that Isaac is supposed to marry, may she be kind and generous, may she offer water to me and to my camels. And he shows up, and it's so funny, because the Bible says he hadn't even stopped praying, and he looked up, and he saw this woman, Rebecca. Rebecca walks over to him. And she says, can I get you some water? Men, can I say that you want a woman that knows how to serve? She is not your servant, but she needs to know how to serve. If she doesn't know how, she needs to know how to follow you. She needs to know how to serve. Some of you are like, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's fine. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. She comes over. She says, sure. She gives him water. And then she says, let me, let me help your camels. 
And, and, and it's so funny because he does what we do when God answers our prayer. He's like, God, did you really just answer my prayer? <laughs> um, I'm not sure, right? And then he talks to Rebecca, and then he goes back to Rebecca's home. And he begins speaking with Rebecca's family. Listen to me. Too many people right now are doing their dating relationships outside of any guidance of their family. They're doing it outside of any guidance from other people. Do you know that the only mandate that the Bible gives you about dating, it is involved someone smarter than you. That's it. They go back and they do it in the most godly way. The servant goes with her and he, and he says, hey, I, 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 you know, I prayed to the Lord. And they were followers of the same God. And they said that, well, that's amazing. And they gave Rebecca their blessing. And then Rebecca takes off on a horse with like her entourage. She has like this crew of ladies going with her. And she goes to meet Isaac. And then the Bible says this. That Rebecca is a long way off and she sees a man in the distance. And this is what the Bible says. That his hands were buried in his, his head was buried in his hands in meditation to God. And she dismounts her horse and she literally says this, who is that? Who is that? When it comes to the person that you are going to spend the rest of your life with, you want a man whose head is buried in his hands in meditation. When it comes to the woman that you are going to love for the rest of your life, you want a woman whose head and whose heart is buried in the heart of God. That is what you want. And listen, in your single years, you will never have a time where you have a more undivided heart than right now, where you, can, you have undivided time, you have undivided freedom, you have undivided ability to pursue God with everything that you have. David wrote a large portion of his Psalms. The man after God's own heart, he developed that heart, that undivided heart while he was single. He wrote his Psalms while he was single. I was uh, listening a few years back to Chad and Sean, and they would talk about their single time. And they said it was so painful. And I think it's different, actually, for men than it is for women. But they were like, it was so painful to be alone. And so they would take their loneliness, and they would go into this sanctuary of, of the church that they worked at, and they would just seek God, and they would pray to God with an undivided heart to the best of their ability. And I remember my single time. And I would, I would get home from school, I would get home from work, and I would go up into my room, and this wasn't because I wanted something from God, it was because I loved God. And I would worship Him, and I would lay on my face and praise Him. And in that time, that was when He called me to my race, incidentally. And in that time, it was when I fell in love with Jesus. Long before you will fall in love with a mate, Jesus will give you an opportunity to open a present, a gift of falling in love with him. Amen. An undivided heart. An undivided heart. How beautiful would it be? Jesus is just looking at us tonight and he's saying, are you going to open the gift? Are you going to, oh, it's here. You can do it tonight. You, you can do it right now. Are you going to open the gift? Are you going to run your race? Are you going to have an undivided heart? Because if you do, I promise you, you will turn the right head. And if you do, you will have the type of marriage that makes the world turn its head. And for our last little bit here, I just want to talk and set a vision as we get into the rest of this series of what a marriage could look like, should look like, might look like if we have it in Christ. It could be the type that changes the world and turns heads 
And so what would a marriage look like that would turn heads? And the first thing I think is this. I think a marriage that turns, turns heads is one where we can be better than our fathers. One where we can be better than our fathers. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah prays a prayer, and his prayer is very simple. He says, God, my prayer, my heart, what I would like to be is to be better than my father. To be better than my father. And for a whole bunch of you in the room, you come from 50% of you or more, you come from a broken home. You come from a fractured view of manhood. You come from a fractured view of womanhood. And his prayer was your, what I think your prayer should be tonight. God, make me better than my mother. God, make me better than my father. This is my prayer to you, God. Make me better. Make me have a marriage that's better. Make me have a life that's better. Make me have integrity that's better than my father, than my mother. When I, um, when John and he gave me permission to tell this story, he grew up in a home with a very faithful mom and with a very selfish dad. And when he was seven years old, their marriage finally split in half and his father left, had a very fractured relationship. And John decided from the time he was a child that he was going to be different than his father. And he embraced his race and he embraced his singlehood and he had an undivided heart towards God. He had an undivided spirit towards the Lord. And when I met John at the altar, I met a man who was strong, who was selfless, and who looked like Jesus. Some of the people that I respect the most, their marriages the most, they have come from abusive homes, and they have said, no more, not in my marriage. Some of the people that I love the most, they have come from uh, homes that have had slews of infidelity throughout the generations. And they said, no more, not with my home. Some of my favorite preachers have come from abusive homes, addictive homes. And they have said, you know what? As for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. I think that there is a whole bunch of people, and you just need to know tonight, you just need to know, God wants you, God wants you to know this, that it is possible for you to be better than a previous generation. Generational sin is a biblical thing. Generational curses is a biblical thing, and it is broken by you making a decision that it will be broken through the power of Christ. The Bible says that if we are in Christ, that the old has gone and that the new has come. Do you know what that means? It means you don't need to look like anything that was before and that you set the standard of what you are going to be in your marriage. And if you're like, oh, my parents have an awesome marriage, sweet, ask for a double portion of that. That we would be better than our fathers. That we would be better than our mothers. And this is not an arrogant thing. It's a redemption thing. Second thing is this, is that we would, uh, the marriages that turn heads, the marriages that make people look at us are selfless. And selfless is stunning. Selfless is stunning. Um, this week was Hurricane uh, Harvey, and it just wrecked havoc all over Houston. And you guys probably saw um, on, you know, the news and on the social what was happening. And there was a whole group of people that rose up. And what they rose up to do was to critique the relief efforts. And they rose up and they began to talk about the problems in Houston with their drainage. 
And they rose up and they began to talk about all of, all of the people who aren't doing enough and all of the things that aren't happening right enough and to have their opinions out on, you know, any platform that they had available. And then there was this other group of people that rose up. And there was this posse of, of people from Louisiana. And if you don't remember, Louisiana was underwater a decade ago. And so they knew. And all of these men, not, not, not policemen, not, not Navy men, they called themselves the Cajun Navy, <laughs> which is kind of good. They're like, we're the Cajun Navy. And I'm like, well, amen. <laughs> amen, brother. And they got their boats and their swamp boats. They had swamp boats. They got their boats and their swamp boats and their kayaks. And here's a few pictures of them. But they'd be tracked to Houston. to seek and to save people. And they would, they would say, text us or, or Facebook us or, or uh, you know, however you can get to us, call us and we will find your, give us your address, we will find your house and we will. And one of my friends was actually some of the people that were saved by these types of people from their home. And I, I remembered watching this last, you know, this week and just being like, oh my gosh, the selflessness of it. The sacrifice. And it ignited my heart and it turned my head. And listen, in marriage, it is possible to have a marriage that is so profoundly sacrificial, that is so profoundly selfless, that people begin to look at you and they're just like, what is that? What is going on? And husbands, you will work a long day and you will come home and you will take care of your wife and you will wipe the table and you will kiss the kids and you will spend time with everybody and you will be selfless. And women, you in, you in here, you will work long days, whether it's with your children or whether it's at work, and you will continue to serve your husband and fight for his goodness and treat him as part of your body and you will do good to him. And the whole world will look at you and say, my goodness, the selflessness of that. That is a marriage that turns people's heads. And the last thing is this, and Ben, you guys can come back out. A marriage that turns people head, people's heads, young adults, is one that simply looks like Jesus and his bride. That simply looks like Jesus and his bride. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture, and I'm not over-exaggerating. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> this is Ephesians 5, verse 22 Read it and commit it to memory. It's a beautiful verse. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. If you have questions about that, we did a panel uh, last year where we talked about what it meant for men to be Christ and women to be the church. It was incredible. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit um, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Um, I, I remember one day I read this, and I was like, baby, you do this to me, honey. Baby, you do this. You speak life over me. You cleanse me by the water and by the word. And he says, yeah, baby. And he says, sometimes i got to use a power washer. <laughs> So that he may present his bride in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or such thing that she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because a man, because of this, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's saying it's a mystery when you get married. It is a spiritual mystery because you look like Jesus and his bride. And so listen, when you love your spouse and you take care of that future husband, you take care of that future wife, do you know what you look like? You look like heaven. When you, when you, are, um, when you are choosing to take care of them, when you are choosing to love them, you look a bit like Jesus in the church. When you are sacrificial towards them, you look like Calvary to people. A few years ago, I was hanging out with a girlfriend of mine, and she became a nun. True story. And she moved to New York, and so she lives, like, with a bunch of nuns and does the nun thing. And um, so she's never married. And, but she spends a lot of time in prayer. And she came up to me, and we were at a wedding of one of her sisters, and we were saying goodbye. And, we were, and she just looked at me, and she said, Jesse, you, you and John, you're doing so good. And she said this. She said, do you know what? She said, Christian marriage, it could save the world. What if the next generation of the church being built doesn't happen with our hands and with us having big worship sets and having awesome sermons? What if it happens in families? What if it happens in families? She said, Christian marriage could save the world. And a few months after that, I was in here and um, a girlfriend of mine was like, hey, you need to come pray with this girl. She doesn't know Christ yet, but she's really struggling. And I said, okay, let's do it. Let's go pray. And after service, I went over and I sat down with her and I said, hey, like, let's talk. And she said, I'm really struggling in my marriage. And she was young, but she was newly married. And she's like, I'm really struggling. And I don't know what's going to happen or if we're going to make it. And I was like, okay, well, we started talking. And then I said very simply, I said, well, do you know Jesus? And she said, no, I don't. I just, I'm not sure. I said, well, okay. And at that moment, John walked up, and we kind of had an interaction where he's like, I'm taking the girls, and I love you, and oh, my gosh, car key's cool, but, you know. And she, she was stunned as she watched us. She was crying. And, I, and the Holy Spirit was so prevalent in that moment. She said, that. I want that. And I said, well, girl, then you want Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, then you can have that. Can everybody stand? Our prayer for this group of people is that you wouldn't just defy statistics with your marriages. But that, like it says in the book of, book of Ecclesiastes, that you would love your wife and enjoy your wife, men, for all of your days. That you would be better with your wife, that you would pursue your wife more at 65 than you did at 25. That we would love our husbands more with, with ferocity and have a vision of marriage that is selfless, that is better than previous generations, that is more powerful, that is more focused, that is more in love with Jesus, that is selfless and profound and is a mystery. This is the vision that we have for you. And God just wants to know tonight, are you going to open the gift? Are you going to open
because I'm waiting for you. I have everything you need to make singleness and dating and marriage that turns people's heads. With every head bowed, let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for every single person in here. And God, I pray just a simple prayer. And if there is anybody in here who does not know the love and the salvation of Jesus Christ, if you have raised your hand before, the Bible says that you have been saved. If you have raised your hand before in church, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have been saved. But if you are in here and you have never known a God who is so selfless, who is so generous, who is so full of love and compassion and mercy, who rescues you out of your worst of the worst, who loves you. The Bible says that even while we are sinners, he demonstrates his love for us by this, by rescuing us right where we are at, wherever you are at tonight. If you just had the worst month of your life, if you have just been on a sin binge that, where you made the worst choices of your life, he wants you to know I love you. And so if you are in here tonight and you would like to receive Jesus, the gift of Jesus, for the very first time in his salvation and his life, would you just raise your hand nice and high, nice and high so I can see you, nice and high, nice and high. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to pray over every single person in this room. God, we thank you for every person that received you as their Lord and Savior. God, you say that if we are unashamed of you in front of men here on earth, you will be unashamed of us in heaven. And so we get you in the here and now through the Holy Spirit and we get heaven forever. I thank you for that, Lord. And God, I pray for every single person in here, myself included, the leadership included, that our marriages would go to the next level, that people would look at us and because of who we are with our spouses, they would see Jesus in us. God, I pray this prophetically over this room, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship.